You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM. Quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Welcome, welcome everyone to Movie Night with Seth. I'm your host, Gabby, and guest hosting today all the way from Hawaii, our lead shorts programmer, Adam. Hey, what's up? We have not one, but two treats for you today. Firstly, we're delighted to welcome the exceptional Canadian actor and friend of the show, Andrew Fung, here to discuss his hilarious show, Run the Burbs. After that, we have our interview with Gabriel Luna, one of HBO's newest stars playing Tommy in the widely successful, highly anticipated new show, The Last of Us. Andrew Fung is an award-winning actor, improv comedian, MC, and writer. His infectious and relatable personality has made him one of Canada's top comedic performers. He is a five-time Canadian Screen Award winner with four awards for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series for his role as Kim Chi on Kim's Convenience. Andrew's other television and film credits include The Beaverton, Events Transpiring, Winona Earp, Little Italy, Last One Laughing Canada, and of course, Run the Burbs. He's a father to two wonderful boys, husband to the amazing Tamara, and proud owner of over 500 sneakers and a staggering number of professional wrestling championship belts. Yes, seriously. So after a successful first season, Run the Burbs is back for more family hijinks in season two. The show follows the fams, a young, bold Vietnamese South Asian Canadian family taking a different approach to living life to the fullest while changing the way we think about contemporary family values and life in the burbs. Here to tell us all about what fans can expect in the new season is Andrew Fung. Hi, Andrew. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, you're here to talk about your show, Run the Burbs, but you also get to catch up with your buddy, Adam. What's the story there? How did you two meet? How did you become friends? I, I don't know if there's a big story. Adam and I were in a sneaker group together, and Adam is kind of like one of the OG sneaker collectors in Calgary. He's got like a deep knowledge pool. And I think we just started like hanging out together, and we were organizing a sneaker event together. You kind of realize really quickly we had so yeah. much in common. Like We love sneakers. We love pro wrestling. And so I remember when I was filming Kim's Convenience out in Toronto, I think you came out twice. Like one time you came out uh, for like a Raw, Monday Night Raw. And then the next year, SummerSlam was in Toronto and he came out. We like hung out for a couple of days. I do want to share this story. Adam had applied to SIF for a job and Adam had been really working a lot with other festivals and he was really passionate about film. And we, enc- I encouraged him to apply for this job. And I remember I was like on set for Kim's Convenience. And I got a phone call and I'm like, I got to get this phone call. Oh, no, 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 Adam, you had texted me. You're like, interview was great. I feel really good about it. <laughs> and then like an hour later, I get a phone call from this SIF office. And it was someone at SIF. And they're like, hey, this is someone from SIF. I'm like, hey, they're like, yeah, like Adam left a reference, like left Andrew's <laughs> reference. I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, so like, are you a reference for Adam? I'm like, I am. And they're like, cool. We just wanted to know if you were actually his reference. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm his reference. They're like, all right. And they didn't even check the reference. They didn't even like ask a question. They just wanted to make sure he's not lying. And then like an hour later, you texted me like, I got the job. I cannot believe that Andrew was your reference for Siv. Also, God bless whoever did this interview that they were like, cool, we trust you. How did you choose your sneakers? How did you prep for this role? That's that's the most important question here. I put so much thought into my sneakers. Like in the first episode of season one, I'm wearing Mocha ones. And like, I know right away people are like, yo, you're wearing Mocha ones. But this season, there's a scene in where I'm playing basketball and I'm wearing a pair of Air Monarchs, Nike Monarchs. And I was like, it's the ultimate dad shoe. Or I'm barbecuing in a scene and I'm wearing a pair of Monarchs because like, if you're a kid who grew up in the burbs, 
your dad was wearing a pair of monarchs for cutting grass for like barbecuing cleaning the garage shooting some hoops with you and so i wanted to pay tribute to that and funny enough when i was filming that scene i got to the van because there's shuttle transport vans and drivers on sets are usually like 55 year old at dad's uncles 60 year old and he looked at my shoes like hey i got the same shoes on and no lie we're wearing the same exact shoes, the same monarchs. So it was it was a pretty fun moment. Yeah, got to get the monarchs on television. <laughs> I'm sure you do this too, Andrew. When you're watching like films and television that take place in different eras, and you see sneakers, you're like, those shoes didn't come out then, or like they didn't have someone on set who was like a consultant about sneaker <laughs> aging or sneaker <laughs> release times. So having you there bring, brings that authentic, authentic nature. It's all about the details. So, I mean, you tell us you're filming here in Calgary. Obviously, Calgary is becoming like quite the hub for film and television lately now with shows like The Last of Us filming here and everything. However, I'm sure the scene was a lot different when you started acting. How did you get into acting? I know you mentioned improv and how did you end up landing more major roles? I started doing improv in high school. And I joined the Loose Moose Theater Company. My drama teacher, Loretta Beach, had brought in an improv instructor for a week uh, at, in our drama class. And like all of us fall in love with it. And so we're encouraged to go down to Loose Moose Theater because at the time, or I'd still do, they would train you for free. They would give you free classes as long as you volunteered. That's always been their mentality. Mm. All the people that have come before me, uh, Bruce McCullough, Mark McKinney, Rebecca Northend, Levi McDougall, Ryan Belleville came from that system. And so we came down. There were seven of us. We were all BIPOC. Most of us were Asian. They called us the Asian invasion. They'd never <laughs> seen so many diverse uh, uh, children, kids of color show up at the theater before. And there, it was really inclusive. And so... How did, how did a group of diverse kids get into theater? And it's like, that's the reason why we didn't have to pay to take classes. We could go there on our own. All it required was for us to take a bus or get a ride down there. Did it every week, did it through university, didn't stop. Even when I was working a nine to five job there in a career that I really did enjoy, I was still doing improv. I was making enough money acting that I felt like I could quit my job. And I was making a lot of money as an MC because I would take my skills from MCing and then I applied that to corporate MCing. And so I was MCing the Calgary Stampede, any event, I was in the mix to be your MC. Bank events, AGMs, big award shows, I was in the mix to MC. And so when you like cobble together the money, I was like, okay, I'm making the same amount as I would make at a job. And then I, I booked like a bit of acting work, non-union projects. It was a lot of talking head stuff. And then I was touring an improv show called Kill Hard at the Edmonton Fringe. And one night, Inns Choi, who is the creator of Kim's Convenience, came to my improv show. And he stayed after the show to talk to me. And I asked him why he came to the show. And he said, you're the only show at the Fringe that has a picture of an Asian guy on it. And so Inns is the type of person where he would go look for uh, performers of color whenever he was at a festival. And he was touring a, a show as well. He told me about Kim's Convenience, which I already knew about because the play was a hit in Canada. And he told me they were making it into a TV show and he wanted me to come out and audition for it. And literally four months later, I sent in a self-tape. And then a month after that, they flew me to Vancouver to workshop with INS and executive producers. And they flew me, then they flew me to Toronto afterwards to work with Paul Sun Young Lee and to audition with Simu Lu. Then I booked the role. It's surreal thinking that I came from the, the Fringe Festival. Sometimes people mention they're like, oh, like you got really lucky, you know, like he came to your show. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that way because for me, it, it wasn't luck that did all those shows to get there. Like I had to be, I had to be at a certain level for when he came to that show. He had to see the best best version of me 
all those hours of doing shows where I wasn't good, wasn't strong, was learning my skill. Like he came to a version of me that was so refined that I knew who I was. And then from there, I started making Kim's Convenience. Yeah, I mean, I would say I completely agree with it not necessarily being a luck thing. Of course, there's like a timing thing that's very important. But I heard mm-hmm. recently in like a Howard Stern interview that professionals often view things as like training and training and training. It's kind of like surfing so that when the wave comes, you're ready mm-hmm. to actually go for it and do well and not fall mm-hmm. off, you know? I also think like I, I hustled really hard. Like I felt like I wanted to try to make it. On the flip side, like... Calgary has become a hotbed of, of film and TV, but like as a whole, our industry is still like, we're still lacking in BIPOC representation. Like I, I do look at anything made in Calgary and oftentimes it, it isn't casting one. It's, it's, it's often not casting Calgarians. Like Calgarians are usually given much smaller roles. Like they're not brought on as lead roles. And then, and then oftentimes it's, it's like, it's just, it's just, it's still not very, very diverse. I do think it's changing and I'm really happy about that. So we're seeing shows come in and like I'm seeing my friends on The Last of Us and I'm really pumped about that. And I'm seeing other projects come in where the roles are getting bigger. So I think it's like it's gaining steam over time. But I remember getting to Toronto and someone's like, wait, you're an Asian comedian actor that came out of Calgary. And just flat out Gene Yoon, my co-star was like, how did you make it out? And so on one hand, our arts community is really is really supportive and loving. But on the other hand, there, there still isn't a ton of work. And so we have to actively work on that and change that. That's a bit snaps- a bit of a snapshot into how I got started into, into acting. We've had some big hits in the past that kind of went international. Things like Corner Gas and maybe like Due South would be like the biggest Canadian exports. But there haven't been a ton. But now we're kind of maybe in this like Canadian international renaissance with, with Shit's Creek and Kim's Convenience. Why do you think it is that these shows are kind of taking off with a more international audience? And how and when do you think Run the Burbs will get there? That's a, that's a hard question because I think there's many factors. One thing that helps Canadian shows is that American networks are making less content in regards like they're making less sitcoms. And so I think there's more room in the marketplace right. for our shows to cross over. On the other hand, I think Canadian shows, the caliber of talent and the caliber of production value has caught up. Whereas like I remember shows in the 90s when you watch a Canadian show, it looked like a Canadian show. You knew. Yeah. You knew. It just like felt like it. And now it's like I remember when like people were just like, wait, Kim's is a Canadian show? Or like shits are like shits is a Canadian show. Working moms is a Canadian show. Wait, Letter Kenny is like so now we're on the same level. And now that there is a a bit of a gap in the American market, I think it makes it easier for us to cross over because we do share a lot of similarities. And I think what makes us different in regards to our comedy helps us. And so I think we're just, I think Canadians are always finding new ways to approach comedy. Like our second season of Run the Burbs, I'm so proud of the swings we took because I think there are episodes that are unlike anything North America has ever created. And we're doing that out of Canada. So doing like things like a Lunar New Year episode or a couple of the episodes coming up, we use uh, devices that I think other shows aren't doing, um, which I'm really proud of. Uh, I-, I am sitting on some news and I will say like having Kim's Convenience and having Shit's Creek before us has made the process of getting a streamer much easier and so i am so thankful that in season one even before production we had an american distribution team i look at the landscape of the u.s i don't think there's another show like it showcasing this type of family in this way even the way we portray marriage and the way we portray how a family unit works and our approach in the world I'm getting it in the comments. People saying things like, oh man, I got a VPN to watch the show and it does not disappoint. It makes me really happy. And so, yeah, it's a lot of factors, but it's the same with features, man. Like 
What's that new Brandon Cronenberg movie that, that just dropped? Infinity Pool. Infinity Pool. You're pretty hyped about it, hey? Yeah, I'm, I'm sad I'm not in Calgary. They just screened it this week. That's right. And the premiere was, I, I saw my, my good friend Amanda Bruegel, you know, who's starring in the movie, like doing the, the, the red carpet for it. But that's wild to me because I think it's, again, there's not a lot of features made in this country. And so when mm-hmm. one gets made, it's been vetted and it's, you know, has some hype around it. It's really exciting. And we're seeing that with our features now. It feels like Hollywood is making less movies. <laughs> and so when they don't make as many movies it gives us room like Scarborough is a really good example or like Scarborough went to went to our streamer and you could watch it and so that's really exciting that there's a it's, there's a time where content we make is consumed and it is a, fa- a couple factors one the softness of the American market but b the caliber of work has gotten so much better um, this is your first kind of show where you you wore this many hats like being producer actor writer probably some things you learned but are there any other things that you learned after getting the first full season of this this big show that you're kind of running getting into season two anything you learned that that makes it a little bit easier or different so just like when you assemble a season of a show you have a better handle of things like i, I think it's like you look at any filmmaker like a lot of filmmakers as as their films as they do more they get better and better because they know how each thing works they know how everything gets pulled together so i think it was a lot of that but i will say for my mental health the really the best thing was that we had all of our scripts written at the at, for season 2 at the beginning of production and that was so helpful because last year I was writing scripts literally on set. Like we were writing episodes and having that allowed me to be the actor this season. Last season, because I'm writing, I have so many hats this season because I get to be an actor. I'm not worried about the scripts because they're done. It's just tweaks that are being done now. And then I trust the other writers and my executive producer team to do that. But I could just focus on being the actor. So what can fans expect from season two? Any juicy plot points you can give away? Any particularly brilliant moments of character development we can look forward to? I'm I'm just really proud of the season arc. Like I think we in, in episode one we really set up Andrew and Camille's wants and desires. Um, Andrew is going after his dream job and gets shut out. Uh, he wants to be a community developer. He wants to make the community a better place. Camille is chasing her dream of working in the food world and hits a snag pretty quickly and has to realize like what's really important in what she does. And then obviously in the season, we see their kids grow up. So that's going to be a big factor as well. Every episode I'm proud of, like at the time of recording, um, our next episode is a tribute to Candy Palmiter, who was a cast member in season one that passed away on Christmas um, a year earlier. And so we did a big tribute to Candy episode. So it's like stuff like that that I'm really proud of. We take these big comedic swings in the sense that like we use different mediums and styles, whether it's flashbacks and episode concepts. So I'm proud of that all season long. I'm obviously always proud of our Lunar New Year episode that comes on later in the season. And I'm proud of like just the family stuff we get to do. It's just one of those shows where I'm like every week, I think there's something exciting to watch and exciting to tune in on. And so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. Well, Run the Burbs Season 2 airs Wednesday nights on CBC and is available to stream on CBC Gem. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Coming up after games, we have an interview with the star of The Last of Us on HBO, Gabriel Luna. All right, so we got games with Andrew Fung. Uh, The first game here is a new game specifically for Andrew uh, with his new show, Run the Burbs. It's actually called Run the Burbs. Um, This is where I know you're not a Calgarian fully anymore. You're a bit of a Torontonian, but we're going to give you a Calgary suburb and you have to tell me which quadrant of the city it is in. Okay. 
Okay. So see see how well you know the burbs. All right. So we'll we'll start with legacy. Um, legacy is a legacy is in the deep south. So like is that southwest? Deep southwest. Is that your final answer? It is. It is southeast. <clears throat> oh yeah, that's tricky though, because like once you go deep south, <laughs> it could be either one. I feel like I get a half point because I said the South, but continue on. I'll give you, you a, half maybe point. a half point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one is Hamptons. Hamptons is Northwest. Hamptons is Northwest. Whoop, whoop. Ding, ding, ding. You got, got it. Um, Coral Springs. Oh, that's Northeast all day long, man. That's a man-made okay. lake right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got it. Um, Pump Hill. Pump Hill is North, North, Northwest. Final answer. Yes. No, Pump Hill is southwest. Wah, wah. It's Where's near the Pump reservoir. Hill? By oh, Palliser, it's near the reservoir. Oak Ridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my bad. My bad. Yeah. And the last one, this one sometimes trips people up. It's Bridgeland. Oh, Bridgeland's northeast. It is northeast. It sure is. Bridgeland's northeast. It's so I, I lived in northeast. 10, 1034, 1034 Fifth Avenue northeast, man. I live. That's like the first place I rented. I know that's northeast. And when people say, "Yo, I live in the northeast," I'm like, "Bridgeland? Like, like, yeah, you're technically northeast, but you don't get the cred <laughs> of being like one of the properties, right?" Yeah. Well, you got three point five out of five. Pretty that's good. Pretty good. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. good for not yeah. living in Calgary right now. So yeah. Uh, to be yeah. fair, Legacy is one where I'm like, I don't know if I would know that period because that's a that's a probably a pretty new community. Yeah, I had to throw some yeah. new ones in there. Yeah. In it's, fairness, it's Skyview Ranch. That's one where I'm like, I, I, Northeast. That's Northeast. I've made fun yeah. of that before. <laughs> I fully like. I live here, and I have. I've been living here, and I don't know many of these. So I think you did very, very well. Um, but I'm also a Northwest girly. I'm, I'm Tuscany gang, so I don't know many because I'm okay. on the very Tus- end of the yeah, city. Yeah. for our next game why are you booing me i'm right in this game our guests give hot takes about the world of screen andrew fun do you have any hot takes so my hot take is i need to ask why movie theaters stop providing those flavor shakers at the at the concession stands because i loved me ketchup flavor shaker salt and vinegar sour cream and onion i love those shakers i love getting some shakers putting them in my popcorn I'm a lover of <laughs> chips. And yes, I get it. There's the people who are old school. They just love layered butter. Hey, I love layered butter, but I also ha- love having sh- like those flavor shakers. So I am the type of person where sometimes if I do remember, or if I see a dollar store nearby, I will go to the dollar store for the movies and get a flavor shaker before I go in. But <laughs> Cineplex, bring, bring back those flavor shakers. Mr. Cineplex, we're putting the call out to you. <laughs> yeah. Please. It's not the same. Those of us who went to SIF 2022, I know y'all experienced our popcorn seasoning station. Wait, so wait, we wait, definitely wait. appreciate it. You had a popcorn value. seasoning station? Yeah. We had a popcorn seasoning station. See, SIF gets it. SIF gets, gets it. We want yeah. a little flavor. It's 2023. Give us that flavor on our popcorn. Look, and, and it's, I don't want all ketchup. <laughs> You know, but I want a little bit here. And there. I want a little bit, just like to mix it up, right? So this game is called Sif Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Uh, similar to Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, they say that every actor is less than six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. 
we've tracked you to Kevin Bacon in how many steps? How many steps do you think you are away? I'm two degrees away. No, I, well, it's it's pretty. I, I have to look like I so I got to look in my wheelhouse. I look at the people. So like Paul Sun Young Lee has done a lot of features. So that's like that's a possibility. Simu Liu like also gets me there. I did a movie with Lisa Milano, Hayden Christensen. So I feel like that could get me there. Um, Andrea Martin, Jane Seymour. So I feel like any of those could get me to Kevin Bacon. So I'm just trying to think now of like what it is what is the realm to Kevin Bacon? What is the realm that that best gets me to to Kevin Bacon? I have I have there's a few different ways to get there. Obviously, I I was really thinking too. Um, because you were talking about like Simu in the Marvel world and then that could get to be a way there, but I didn't go that route. But if you find a way, that's that's even better. But I went through Little Italy. Yeah, Little Italy, Little Italy Cinematic Universe. Uh-huh. Yes. I think it's two. I think I'm two away from Kevin Okay, because we, we had you at three. Three. I thought it would be me, somebody, Kevin Bacon. That's where I thought it oh, was. Oh, okay. I couldn't find anything that close. Okay, so then it's me, someone, someone, Kevin Bacon? Yeah. You want me just to tell you what we had? Yeah, yeah. Tell me what it's... Let's hear it. So, we had Andrew Fung in Little Italy. Okay. uh, With Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts is in Scream 4 with Nev Campbell. And Nev Campbell in in Wild Wild Things Things with Kevin Bacon. Bacon. So, technically three degrees. That's pretty good. Three degrees from Bacon. I'm I'm going to (laughs) really... I got to really really change that Yeah, let's get somebody in there. I think in every scenario, like... I think of Anthony Q. Farrell, who's show running on Run the Burbs. So, Andrew to Anthony Q. Farrell, who was on The Office. And there's that brief (laughs) cameo by Christian Slater. Yeah. And then Christian Slater to Kevin Bacon in Murder Murder on the Fifth. Is that the one they did together? Okay, three degrees. Three sift degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's every actor's uh, unintentional dream to get closer to the Kevin Bacon... Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much, y'all. I appreciate it. My name is Gabriel Luna, and I'm the actor that plays Tommy Miller in The Last of Us. Uh, Well, my first thoughts when I arrived on the plane was, wow, those are the Rocky Mountains. And I could see them. I could see them. The First Nations people called it the backbone of the world. And I could see them out my window of the plane. I I thought how, how incredibly beautiful that was. And that was just the very the prologue to my whole experience because that was just touching the surface. But once I arrived, I found it to be very much like home. I'm from Austin, Texas. There was a lot of dirt. We got a lot of dirt in Texas, too. You know, a lot of cowboys and roughnecks. So it, was, yeah, it just felt very familiar. So I was really happy. And once we started working, I met the crew. I, I, they have the same type of work ethic and the same kind of dedication that people from my part of the world also have. So... Uh, I can say that I enjoyed it. Alberta is the Texas of Canada. Texas means friendship. The word Texas from Tejas, which means friendship. But you guys might have us beat on the friendship, man. You guys are like super sweet out here. I took to the place very quickly and I felt that they kind of took to me and, and we made friends and we did a lot of exploring of the, of, of the province. Traveled as far south as like the Old Man River down there and did some fly fishing there with my friend Colin is the best boy. He'll be here tonight. And uh, Peter Lywood, Squatchy Waters. If you're looking for a fly fishing guide, Squatchy Waters is where you got to go to. And uh, yeah, just experience all of the province had to offer. I think Pedro, well, early on for a family bonding experience, Pedro, Nico, and I uh, floated the boat. And we got on over way to the west. And, they, and then we had to, uh, we had to di- disembark over by the zoo. That's where like the, the and it's this, it's this very quick turn where you have to get into the harbor and, and get out of your raft. 
Otherwise, they float you way down the boat and then they charge you like a hundred bucks to come save you. We barely made it. I literally grabbed it with my arm. I'm holding on to my left arm and Pedro grabs onto some like reeds on the, on the shoreline and we're holding it. And Nico's like, Oh, what's happening? My wife is like, Oh my God. And then another family completely misses. And so we had to save them. So Pedro reaches out. Me and he, Pedro and I get out of the raft, get into the water, grab their raft and start literally just like, slowly dragging everybody back to safety. I was just at the Flames game last night. You know, we didn't get the result that we wanted. We were down 3-0 early in the first period, and that's the perfect time to invite Gabriel Luna up to be on the Jumbotron when everybody's feeling really down, you know? Everybody, no one was... Every, every, you know, it's, it wasn't the perfect time to go up there and feel the jubilation of the audience, but the moment that the Last of Us logo hit the Jumbotron, you could hear the rumbles and everybody started cheering. Everybody was very excited. And then I hit the screen and then everybody was happy. So I felt that, you know, I offered them a little bit of solace, a little bit of sanctuary in the middle of just a horrible beatdown. But we'll be all right. We're right on the cusp of the playoffs. We're going to get there. Well, I say as a, as a gamer, I consider myself a gamer myself. And as somebody who loves all things action, all things genre, it was, a, it was as important to me as any other fan of The Last of Us that it was done right. And it was done with great care and attention to detail. And we had, uh, we had brilliant scripts by Craig Mason to work off of. We had characters beautifully crafted by the great Neil Druckmann. I felt a little trepidation, maybe, just, but I already kind of had that experience with the Terminator, with the Ghost Rider, other things that are beloved globally. And you just got to go in and just, like, don't mess it up. And, uh, but this character felt very familiar to me. Felt like somebody I knew, in fact, felt like me in a lot of ways. So uh, it was almost seamless becoming Tommy. And I, this, this story is beautiful. I'm so happy to be a part of it and truly couldn't have been made anywhere else. Alberta was perfect. Well, I mean, what other place could be Central Texas, Boston, the, the, the great American West, you know? And, and it was, uh, I was just awe-stricken at times, just, just being here and being in the vastness and the immensity of the beauty of this place. At one point, I told the story several times today, but at one point, our VFX supervisor, Alex, came up to me and we're standing there in the middle of the street in Canmore. And we're looking at this massive, beautiful mountain that frames our, our whole experience perfectly. And he's like, Gabe, I couldn't do that if I tried. I could make that, and it would, it would not look more fake than that looks right now, because that is just incredible. It did. It truly looked like a CGI backdrop, but it was real in every sense. It was so real that they were dropping dynamite into the mountain for controlled avalanche. And so we were just like sitting there like kids with popcorn, just like, ooh, they're going to drop the dynamite. Let's watch this. So it was a nice little respite from the work day. I was here in the summer, so we went to Banff, and we got there just before the smokes kind of roll in from BC. It was just gorgeous. I mean, we, my wife and I, we, we were staying, I think it was the Smoky Mountain Lodges or something like that. Smoky Mountain Lodge, great place. Not sure that's what it's called, but you get the idea. It's beautiful. Bathtubs with feet, very, very romantic. So anyway, we, we, we did some hiking. We hiked down to the, the lake. I think it was called Vista Lake. It was one of the many lakes in that area, in that region. And we were the only ones there. And the water was still warm enough that we, we, we kind of just went dipping in our birthday suits. So we did that. I went fishing down. I went fly fishing with my friends, as I mentioned before. Peter Lywood and Colin, my best boy. We went fishing down Old Man River. We floated the boat, did some kayak fishing. Uh, I just posted a video of, of one of our many uh, Chevy Silverado cab dance parties that we had. Because we were confined to that truck for maybe like three weeks. But Pedro always had the tunes, just ready to go, just 
he light, he light up the whole the whole uh, area with his his musical sense. He has beautiful taste. And we would just dance, you know, we do our thing. I love to play my guitar at work, and uh, Bella and I would play together. She's a beautiful songwriter, and we would play our songs for each other. I remember one time in Canmore, me and a bunch of the extras, we gathered around a, a, a barrel fire and and just like sang a bunch of like Johnny Cash tunes and Woody Guthrie and a bunch of old-fashioned songs and. Uh, around a barrel fire so yeah a lot of really beautiful memories from this shoot it was almost two years in the making once again with the most passionate fans who also were our crew you just want to get it right you, you you care so deeply about the story it's a very beautiful story i of course have had that similar pressure with the terminator and with the ghost rider and these these franchises these legacy franchises and these characters that have existed for decades that people have a very strong affinity for and you want to honor them. You want to give them something they recognize, but you also, of course, want to give them something more. We were overwhelmed with the response. We're overwhelmed with how much people, how many people have seen it, and of course, how much love they've expressed for it. It's the love and the passion and the curiosity, or the morbid curiosity, are they going to mess it up? So I don't think any gamer that's played the game is not watching the show. What I hope is that there's people who watch the show that turn, and Neil's hope as well, Neil Druckmann's dream, I want to play the game. You know, I want to experience, I want to be in Ellie's shoes. I want to be in Joel's shoes. So I think that's more of the question is how many of those people are we going to get? Now knowing that, you know, 10 million plus people watched it in the first two nights. Okay, that's a wrap.